Uh, my name is Melissa. I serve here as the executive pastor, and I'm super excited to be with you. I'm sorry that we just had that miscue there, but listen, it's always awkward when I speak, so... <laughs> We're just consistent, right? So um, with, <laughs> weird things always happen. So it's okay. But um, I'm glad that you guys are with us. We're going to be continuing in our series called called, called to be Courageous. Um, and last week, Bill shared with us this awesome message out of Luke. Um, we're traveling through Luke this year. Um, he talked about um, the need for us to recognize that the gospel was for all people. All people. No one was left out. And, and what I thought was so courageous about Bill's message last week was to admit that the institution of the church, our church, has left people out, has made people feel hurt or um, that the gospel wasn't for them. And I think his apology was healing for so many people and um, and it's courageous to admit where we failed and we need to fight for reconciliation with people. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or watch it, please do so. We have a podcast. You can find it on our website or on Facebook. Um, but it was a really powerful message. And today we're going to continue in Luke. Um, and I will be honest with you, if you follow us on the Version Bible app, you can go to the live event and you can see um, updates from the table. You can see kind of what we're going over. It looks a little different than what um, I'm actually going to be talking about today because um, I just kind of went back through my notes late this week and I saw something in my notes and kind of chased it down a little bit. And I just feel like, seriously, like the Holy Spirit just laid that in front of me. And so I'm super fired up today for you guys to share with you what um, I have learned and what um, I just feel had was revealed to me. So I, I just, I, I'm sorry if our notes in the new version app look a little different, but you guys just hang in with me. Um, so I would just ask for you to join me in prayer um, as we begin today. So will you guys pray with me? Father, I, oh gosh, that song just, just, just think of the heavens singing your name. Um, it just brings, it just gives me goosebumps, Lord. I just, I, I can't even imagine what that is like, Father. And just to hear us collectively singing, just praising you as our Savior, Lord. I, oh man, I just, I'm so thankful for that, Father. And I just, I'm reminded of the times I've gone to church and walked into a church. And wondered if this was actually for me, Lord. And you remind us over and over again that you call us all to yourself. That we have a place at your table. Lord, I'm humbled by that. I'm thankful for that. Lord, may the words that we spoke in today bring you glory. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So today we will be in Luke 6. If you guys have your Bibles or your Bible app or you want to scroll there, um, we will be in Luke chapter 6. And I'll give you some context. Context is important because the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So it's important that we have context. We understand what's happening here. Um, Jesus in Luke 6 was facing the reality that his death was coming. It was still a couple years away, but it was coming. And what Jesus was doing in his ministry at the time was taking a lot of people off. He was making the religious elites very angry. Um, he had broken the Sabbath by walking through a field and, and, and picking up um, 
wheat and grinding it in their hands to eat as they were traveling. He walked by a man on the way to the synagogue that had a withered hand, and Jesus healed him, but it was on the Sabbath. And so these religious elites were mad, and Jesus, in his way, um, pressed back against their legalism, their rules that had no place in the kingdom. So they were mad, and they were plotting his death, where we catch up with him in Luke 6. And, and we see um, Jesus knew his time on earth was ending, and he had to pick a team. And he was wrestling with that. And, and there's a distinction here between dis, with the disciples that we read about. There's this transition that is made, and I want you guys to catch it. So read with me in Luke 6, verses 12 through 16, and we're going to circle back and chew it up in smaller bits. So Luke 6, 12 through 16. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, who he had named apostles, Simon, who he had named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who had become a traitor. And so we see a couple of things here. Now, as we see Jesus moving throughout Scripture, we have to be reminded that he is a model for us. What he is doing is a model for us. So we see him, Savior of the world, as a man retreating to be alone in front of God. That is a very important reminder for us. That we are to be alone in front of the Father. He needed that time. And he did it when there was a trying time in his life. When he had to make important decisions. Um, and so he goes to God. And he's wrestling throughout the night. Because he's having to pick a team. And like my ADD kind of went off on this. Because I just started thinking like. Is there a more stressful time when you're an elementary school kid. Than when you have to pick teams. I mean, seriously, you're on the playground, it's time to play football, capture the flag, whatever it is, and if you're not the captain, what are you thinking? Just please don't be last. Like, just don't pick me last, right? That is a stressful time, because the team has to be good to win, and you want to be on the best team, and as a captain, you want to pick all the best people, and you don't want to be last, right? All the teams that are good have the best people. And so I was thinking about the dream team. It's gonna, some of y'all weren't even born then, but it, like 92 Olympics, something like that. Like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Like that was the dream team. That was the best of the best that we sent out to crush everybody at those Olympics, right? That's the kind of team that we're looking for, right? But Jesus was always counter to what people expected, which was is amazing of, you know, of his rebellion, I guess it's not. But it just seems like he was always rebellious. And Jesus, he wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't thinking about the best team. And now you guys have, may have recognized some of the names that we, um, that we read. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip. You might have recognized some of those names. Um, uh, Matthew, Bill spoke of him last week, the tax collector. Um, you might have even heard of Judas, the person who sold Jesus out. Um, and when we think of those names, not Judas, but we think of most of them as giants of the Christian faith. Now, then, that is not who they were. They were like the hot mess express, okay? They were not the ones 
that people expected. They were uneducated, many fishermen. Um, they were uh, poor. They um, had reputations. They were prideful and mouthy and cowardice and weak and unfaithful. And like, this is the crew that Jesus picked to be his team. Like, why in the world would he pick these guys? You know, why wouldn't he pick the, the most effective, the most influential, the most educated, the most well-known, right? That would have been more effective and efficient for his ministry. But we see the answer, one of the answers, in 1 Corinthians. I want to read this to you. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring the things that are, to bring nothing to the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So there was this call. The disciples were the followers. They were the students of Jesus. There was this call to be apostles. Apostles means sent, sent one. And so this apostle office, culturally, people would have known what that means. It was an office that had esteem. It was revered. It was an important office. The people that were the disciples would know this is a big deal that Jesus is calling these 12 men as apostles. Because they are sent out as official delegates. So they have the power and the authority of the one that sent them. So I'm sure all the disciples are like... These jokers, these are going to be your guys, okay? Because they were like, I was thinking like the bad news bears, you know? Like just not who you would expect to go out and be your representative to the world. But he wanted to make sure that the power that they would receive, people would understand it was not of them. He wanted there to be no misunderstanding where the power and the authority that they lived with came from. See, if he had, if he had um, appointed the religious, the, the educated, the expected, the elite, the eloquent, people would exalt them. Look how smart he is. Look how talented he is. And it would get messed up where that power lied. It came from Jesus. And he knew their shortcomings, but he had a solution like he always does. See, in Acts 1... Um, we see Jesus saying something. So Jesus has, um, he has been crucified, buried, and he has risen again. He's with the apostles now. Um, he's with them for a short time. And he shares this before the ascension into heaven. He shares this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So we hear Jesus' solution and there's a couple points I want us to really hone in on, okay? The first point, super, super eloquent, very profound. God uses ordinary people. I know, write it down. It's a good one, okay? So he uses ordinary people. You 
and me can put our names in the line of the apostles. Guys, we are ordinary, sinful, prideful, mousy people. He uses them. And you know what? Like, I am really thankful for that. Because that means that I have a place. That there's something in me redeemable. That I have a place in the kingdom. And we see this time and time again that scripture and scripture that the normal, the unexpected, the lowly, the poor are used over and over and over again. I mean, there's this new covenant between God and his people that are being established through these guys. Okay, so we may have heard of Peter. Maybe you've heard of Peter. Maybe you've heard of, of James or, or John. Hey, but some of these guys that were integral in building the kingdom of heaven, we only know their names. Like James, the son of Alphaeus, we know his name and his dad. Simon was a zealot. We know his, his political affiliation, his political party. These zealots were extremists that were fighting against Rome, um, fighting against the idolatry of Rome, the oppression of Rome for the Jewish people. Which, a side note, Matthew was Jewish, but he was working as a tax collector for Rome who is considered a traitor. And here's Jesus saying, hey, you two enemies, be friends. Unexpected. Judas, the son of James... Like, his side note in history is he's not the other guy. Like, that's, that, that's what we know. His dad, son of James, and he's not the guy who sold Jesus out. Like, we know very little about the men that would be a part of changing the world. Y'all, and they, they did. They literally changed the world. We sit in this room because of what happened here. And, and Jesus' plan for the, reaching the world wasn't raising and growing and equipping and recruiting the exceptional and the elite. It's raising up the ordinary people and the power of the Spirit and sending them out. And that includes you and me. Ordinary, everyday people. The moment that we step into a relationship with Jesus, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that moment that you've accepted Jesus into your life as a Savior, you are called. Jill Briscoe is an author that um, I love. She a longtime missionary, and um, she was telling the story um, about a young woman who came to her uncertain if she was called into ministry. And Jill, uh, she asked Jill, you know, how did you know, you know, you were, you were called to ministry? And Jill says, I was saved. I was saved. We over-spiritualize this platform. We over-spiritualize what we're doing. The, the, the intent, this is a tool, an important tool, a vital tool to building the kingdom. But that, this was not the plan, what we do here. The plan was that for people so compelled by Jesus' sacrifice for them, empowered by the Holy Spirit... To live their lives as a living sacrifice sold out to the mission of making disciples, period. It isn't a question whether you, as a Christ follower, are called to ministry. It's how and where you'll work out that calling. That's what we're reading here. And I, 
my original message into the message that we landed on today, I, I, I went back and I was kind of just like feeling a little uneasy. I went back and I was reading through my notes and I had something in the note of a journal that said, Acts Stephen circled. I don't know when I wrote it down. <laughs> so I was like, huh, wonder what that's about. And I flipped over to Acts and I came across the story of Stephen. And when we see Stephen in Acts, we really don't know much about him except what's in Acts 6 and 7. And I want to tell you his story. So the apostles were still in Jerusalem at the time, and their number was growing. The disciples were growing. But it was growing so large that widows were being neglected. And so the apostles appointed seven men to take care of people, to feed people. Stephen was one of those men. Ordinary dude, following the teachings of Jesus, out feeding people. But Stephen was so full of the Spirit. He was known for being full of the Spirit that people were coming to faith while he was feeding people. And people were starting to take notice of what Stephen was doing. And guess who was also taking notice? The religious elite that did not like what was happening with these people, these disciples. And so they trumped up some charge against Stephen, hauled him in in front of the council, and question what he was doing. And, G- and Stephen just gives like the best comeback. Like he just starts like spilling the tea as we would say. Like he is like laying all of their stuff out for them. They question him. His response was awesome. He goes on to tell them, listen, you're making the same mistakes as your parents. Your parents and their parents killed prophets that were telling of the coming Messiah. And you did the same thing. How do you think that went for Stephen? Not well. So Stephen was drug out of the court or the council, out of the city, and he was stoned. Here's a part of an Acts that is so, like, it, it caught me so much, and I feel like there's a bajillion things we could talk about it. When he was in front of the council, he was um, looking up at heaven, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When we see Jesus at the right hand of God, what is he normally doing? He's sitting. There was something about what was happening where Jesus was standing. And I don't know why that just sticks out to me of like Jesus was just couldn't sit and watch his son. And as Stephen was being confronted and about Um, to be stoned, he cries this out. Jesus, receive my spirit and do not hold this sin against them. And scripture says he fell asleep. Do those words sound familiar at all? What do we hear Jesus saying on the cross? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And Stephen, in his last breaths, was thinking about what Jesus did for him. Chapter 7 closes. Chapters are not, those are for us. And then chapter 8 opens. And when chapter 8 opens, we see this line. And Saul approved of his execution. Now we know that Saul becomes the apostle Paul, who was appointed by Jesus and became the greatest church planner and missionary in the history of the church. But yet he was watching this happen and approved. I want us to remember a couple things. 
Remember in Acts 1, we said, Jesus said to them, you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And they were still in Jerusalem. And doing normal things. But Stephen, in his miraculous martyrdom, sets off the scattering of the people, the disciples. A dude delivering meals, sharing the gospel, set off a world-changing event that has changed your life and my life forever. It's always been ordinary people who knew from the moment of salvation they were called to ministry. They were called to share the gospel. The second point is the Holy Spirit lives in us and it propels us if we acknowledge it. Stephen's boldness, his courage, his confidence was amazing. He was confident because he was aware of, aware of the Holy Spirit being within him. He was known for being full of the Spirit. And as believers, what gives us confidence and courage to step into discomfort is the Spirit of God that lives in us. We receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but what gives us boldness is the acknowledgement and understanding that the Spirit is in us and can propel us forward. See, like Jesus told the apostles, listen, I have to go. You're going to be better off without me because I'm sending something more powerful than me. He even said the Spirit was greater than him because the Spirit lived in them and was with them when he couldn't be. That's how important us reminding ourselves of the Holy Spirit. And I have to do this. My pride and my ego like make me think that my life is me for Jesus. And I have to remember that it is Jesus through me. That's how I live my life. And when, whenever we see the apostles or the disciples or in Stephen, just normal dudes, they're saying, yes, whatever, whenever. And they messed up and they were sinful and they were prideful and they stumbled, but yet they still said, yes. The Holy Spirit gives us incredible, incredible opportunity and power to be on the front row of what God is doing. Because it's not about us. Because me, I would sit back. Me and my flesh, I would sit back. I don't want anything to do with any of that crazy stuff. Like, but the Holy Spirit propels us forward if we acknowledge it. And we see Stephen and the apostles living out this statement. As Jesus was to me, I will be to others. They took on Jesus' example. The apostles took on Jesus' example. Stephen did to death. They took on his example. He repeated the last words of Jesus on the cross to the people that were watching him. In his last moments, he was thinking about what Jesus did for him, and he wanted to do that for other people. And he began to speak Jesus' words out so the people that were watching him die knew there's something different about that man. As a follower of Jesus, we look at our lives as a living sacrifice for others, like Jesus did for me and for you. Now listen, most of us, the, all of us practically, our sacrifice here in America will probably never be death. You know what our sacrifice will probably be? Comfort. We are comfortable. We have everything we need. There's nothing we want. 
And even our wants or our needs sometimes are just first world needs. Like, I have satellite internet at my house. Like, oh, I wish I had. It's horrible. It's the worst of satellite internet. I mean, is that as bad as it's going to get? Comfort lulls us. It dulls us. It's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Satan, that those things that attract us, what he does is he gives us things that we want and are attractive and feel good. Sometimes we think of the devil as scary. Mm-mm, he's everything we've ever wanted. It lulls us. And as I was studying, this question kept coming into my mind. Where would I be if Jesus had not chosen to die for me on the cross? And I ask you to ask yourself that if you profess to follow Jesus. Where would you be if Jesus did not die on the cross for you? We would be in the same place where millions and millions of people around the world are. Broken. Trapped. Oppressed. Going to hell. And maybe not even knowing it. Okay, let's scale it. I just read this statistic. 1.6 million people in Tarrant County say that they don't have any religious affiliation and don't want any religious affiliation. Tarrant County, where we are. Generation after generation in this country are becoming less and less open to the gospel, less and less open to faith, less and less open to religion. And you know what that means? It doesn't mean, oh, the world is just falling to pieces. Jesus, come back. Yes, we want that. What that means is that there are Christians standing, watching generations pass by over and over, saying, it's not my deal. I'm going to heaven. That's what's happening. And that's where I would be. Because so many of us have forgotten what Jesus did for us. We've forgotten. I forget. And see, when we remember, there's this transition that happens. We move from follower to sent. The apostles made the, the uh, transition from disciple to apostle. Stephen made that tr transition. Remember in Acts 8, it said persecution was happening the next day. And the disciples scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It's believed that Luke wrote that. He wanted us to know, except the apostles. The disciples, the followers, became sent and scattered and carried the gospel outside of Jerusalem. There was a transition there from follower to sent, from passive to active. When we learn of the love of Jesus, y'all, it feels so good to be in that place of just like being loved by, I love to be loved by Jesus. I love that. I love absorbing what he, his word and what people are teaching me and the, the music and what's happening. And like, I love that I get to go to heaven. The people I love are going to heaven. And there's just something very amazing but passive about that place. We're receiving, and that's okay. There's seasons where we need to receive from Jesus. We need to receive from the church, and that's okay. But we get stuck there. And we see all of the apostles starting at the follow me. Follow me. Jesus, follow me. Follow me. 
And we go, okay, I'll follow you. And we accept that power and the gift of salvation and a new life. But there has to be a transition at some point, and we see it in Scripture, where it goes from follow me to go do what I did for you for others. Now, I don't want to do that because I like to follow me. I get the cute bumper sticker. I get the T-shirt, and it doesn't cost me anything. I want to stay there. That's what's comfortable is I get to receive, I get to consume, and it costs me nothing. A couple hours on Sunday morning. I had a conversation this week. I told him I was going to share this, so he's not in trouble. I'm not going to use his name. But anyway, he's a friend of mine. We have been talking about serving here at the table. He, there's posters outside. He said, hey, we've got 60 spots. We would love for you guys to join us and serve. Frankly, the turnout was very poor last week, if I'm honest with you. So I started picking up the phone. There's people in this room that got a call or a text from me this week. Hey, would you mind jumping in and serving with us on Sunday mornings? I called my friend. Hey, no, you're not serving. Would you mind jumping in and serving with us on Sunday mornings? And he goes, guilt trip didn't work, huh? What is that supposed to mean? He's like, oh, that story you told. I was thinking, I was like, okay, last week I told a story about a woman who profoundly impacted my faith. I walked into church as a broken, never been in church before, had no idea what I was doing, totally lost. I walked into a church, and there was a woman that greeted me warmly, was befriended me, helped me feel comfortable, and I, that changed my life. It made me more open. But he said, I, he is poking fun. My guilt trip didn't get people signed up. Oh, I kicked me in the gut a little bit. And I started thinking about that. And I was like, you know what? This is where we get it wrong. This is where we as a church, this is where I get it wrong. And I'll be super honest. If you know me for a little bit, you know that I'm pretty straight. I'm going to be pretty straight with you. I'm not going to guilt trip you around because that means I have to drag you around. And, and nobody got time for that. Okay? But I did get it wrong. And that conversation was evidence that we get it wrong. Yes, we want you to serve in the church yeah, we do. Absolutely. I want you to serve in the church. I want you to be active in the church. You get to meet people. We want you to grab a shovel, grab an oar, whatever you want to do. Get to work. Serve in the church. Of course. But that's not why. It's not to fill a spot. And that's what we do. Is we think, oh, we have spots. We got to fill them. Fill your spot. And people are like, mm, somebody else will do that. I'm not going to do that. And we don't tell you why. And that's our fault. And that's where we fell. And that's the story of Stephen, the story of apostles reminded me why we do it is because we forget what was done for us. That's why we do it. We all have someone who, if you are a professed Christ follower, we all have someone who said, told you about Jesus. All of us have someone who told us about Jesus. All of us, unless you had some divine interaction Someone, you might, they might not know you, someone told you about Jesus and that changed your life if you were a Christ follower. Someone did. Someone loved you enough to share Jesus with you. Someone loved me enough to share Jesus with me. And I forget that they were emptying out themselves, getting out of comfort because I was skeptical. I was cynical. There's nothing that you could do to convince me that Christians were good people, that this Jesus guy was for me. Nothing. So I can imagine how scared they were to walk up to me and be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I wasn't like a warm, you know, an easy yes. 
But they got out of discomfort because they loved me. You know why? Because they remembered what Jesus did for them, and they answered that call. Now go and do what I did for you for others. That's why we do it. Y'all, and like that, like, wrecks me. It like wrecked me this week. The courage that those people had to show up in my life. Like, the freedom that I stand in today from utter oppression and shame and sin has changed my life and my eternity and my family and my kids because someone was brave enough to walk across a room and say hello to me. Y'all, like, that sounds so simple, but it is so true. That's so true. And I went from oppression and shame to this place of, like, freedom Going from a family where I, my father abused and broke my trust and sent me on a course of just darkness to understanding that I am deeply loved and deeply valued and deeply wanted by a heavenly father who wanted me from the beginning of time. That changes lives. When you know that the people in your world that hurt you don't have power, that you can release that, that changes your life. And I do not want to forget the awe of that. Like, I don't want to forget where I was because it directs where I'm going and what I'm going to do along the way. And the why of why we want you to make the transition from follower to sent is because people matter. People matter to Jesus. If I mattered to Jesus, those kids next door matter to Jesus. Adults walking in this room, hanging on to their marriage, looking and fighting for freedom, looking for something different in this world that is telling them they are not good enough, they are worth it. Our students on Wednesday night that are faced with horrible, horrible choices and positions that they find themselves in, they are worth it. And that is not a guilt trip. That is the truth of the gospel. We are all worth it. We as believers who are going to spend eternity in heaven, we have to believe they're worth it. And then we have to go do something about it. That's the call. That's being sent. And it's so hard for us to remember that. And I don't know why. And we often think, well, someone else, someone else, We'll do it. I think of the person that led me to faith. And I think of my conversations with people afterwards. No one else did it. She did it. She's the one who led me to faith. Someone else isn't going to do it, y'all. It's on us. It's on us, and we have to take it personal. And that's what Stephen did. He took it personal. He's out feeding people, sharing the gospel. It's not about standing on a platform. This is a raised hunk of wood. There's nothing special about this. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about Bill or Wayne or anybody else who stands up here. We just get the mic that day. We're all called to the same things. And we look back at scripture and these incredible stories of the heroics of the apostles, the heroics of Stephen, and think, gosh, I can never, I can never be that. There's no way I could be that. I totally get that. They felt, probably felt the same way too. You think, you think old Peter was thinking, oh, I'm going to go change the world. Church is going to be built on my shoulders. He was just trying to get fish in his boat. 
Just normal dudes saying yes whenever, wherever. They were wrong for the job. We are wrong for the job. You are wrong for the job. That's our reality. But through the Spirit, through the Spirit, we are able to do incredible, incredible things. And I think that's something that we forget. There's, no, there's nothing special about who we are as we step into Jesus, into our relationship with Jesus than the Holy Spirit living in us. That propels us forward. It helps us take a transition from passive to active in our faith, to, to a learner and a student, to someone who's sent. And I don't, I don't say it to just get you to fill a spot. Don't fill a spot. I don't know what to tell you. Don't fill a spot. But do something. Don't let another generation pass us by where less and less people know our Jesus. Because you know what that means? It means less and less people are going to be in heaven when we get there. And I do not want to stand in front of my Savior and say, I'm here, and him look over my shoulder and say, well, where is everybody? Listen, it's on me. Heaven's going to be crowded. We're going to have a party. It's going to be fun. And all my people are going to be there. And maybe some people that I don't even know. And they're going to come up, and they're going to say, you help me see Jesus. That's what we live for. And it doesn't matter where we do it. As a mom, as a teacher, as a banker, as a cook, as a whatever you do. Student, whatever it is. It's not about if we're called to ministry. It's how we will do it and where we will do it. Here, it's an opportunity. People come to us every single week. It's an opportunity for you to do ministry right here when you're already here. That's what, it's called. That's what we're called to do, to invest in kids, let them know they're loved and that Jesus loves them, to invest in students and do the same thing, to see someone and say hello and maybe clear the way so they can sit down and they can hear the gospel. That's what we do. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's uncomfortable. And if we can learn anything from the disciples, if we can learn anything from what we're doing here, is that comfort, comfort is a danger to the cross. And let's not fall into that. I forgot what time we got done today. So I just looked at the clock. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Sorry. Somebody has to wave at me. I forgot. Okay. Somebody wave at me. I was on a roll. I told you I was fired up. I warned you guys in the beginning, okay? Thank you. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for hanging in with me. Please pray with me. Lord, I just thank you so much for, I thank you for your word, Lord, that it is inspired by you, Lord, and it, it can inspire others. Lord, I stand here totally just thankful, humble, humbled hopeful, different. Because a lady named Kay shared the gospel with me. My grandmother prayed for her broken granddaughter for years, sharing the gospel. I stand restored because of those women. Thank you for them. Thank you for them accepting you, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and living as sent. Lord, may I be half of what those women were to me to someone else. Make it clear who that is for all of us. Help us figure out the how and help us move away from discomfort or move into discomfort away from comfort, Lord. 
We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to step in relationship with you, Lord. And the people in this room that may not know you, help them know how much they are loved and wanted and valued by you. And that the yes from the apostles and the disciples is the same yes for them. We love you, Father. It is in your name we pray. Amen.